0: This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson and Orr!
1: Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup.
0: Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian Felice, Brian D. Felice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah little bit on the hot seat Burn and weei.com bruins writer scott mclaughlin oh, lace them up for some bees talk right now I'm it's the skate pod on weei welcome into episode 138 of the skate podcast i'm E. police joined by bridget crew and freshly off short-term ir one scott mclaughlin scott how are you feeling
1: uh, much better. And I'm glad that we were able to clear enough cap space to activate me without having to trade anyone away. Uh, you know, just great cap management by by the whole operation here.
2: I agree.
0: Yeah, no, it was just always finding those those loopholes, you know, like the lightning in, in 20, 2019, 2020. So <laughs> where there's a will, there's a way. Like Don Sweeney said, well, we'll there's a way to figure it out I, throughout the year.
1: Yeah, I, and by the way, like the Bruins, you know, credit – i think Evan gold is like their their cap master financial guy um you you think you understand the cap and then something like this happens and you're like nah, i don't know I, I guess not because we all thought like they had more money they need to free up in order to be able to activate forward and it turns out that just by uh waving strawman and demoting his contract they i believe to they ended up today like Bridget, what did I tell you? Like 30, 34000 34, Yeah, thirty-four thousand.
2: When he said so, that to me, I thought he was going to say thirty-four dollars under the cap. <laughs> I was like, wow, they cut that close, which would have been even more <laughs> impressive. But yeah, I don't know. So, so
1: yeah, so all they do is get rid of Strawman, and they have enough money, and now they've now they've got everyone, and you know, I, I, whatever we we can get, we'll get into it later. Well, it's, it's a good
0: point though, sorry, Scott, because but, like because like conceivably though. This could they could roll with this lineup yeah, all exactly. regular season and playoffs, and it's like we're, we're we're scratching our heads all off season and the front start front part of this season. It's like well, they got to trade something. It's Like and, and to your point, it's like oh no, just just assign strawman to Providence. You know, hope it doesn't get claimed off waivers. Like really, it's they just it's whole, interesting.
2: They have a whole yeah. twenty-seven cents left over,
0: and, and like it all goes. It goes back to like not
1: using like all of the long-term IR that they could have, you know, like when McAvoy was on, they, you know, I think they're only like 3 million into LTIR because they still had left some cap space, like on their active roster. So like that all factors in when they sent Mike Riley down to Providence factors in like, apparently today was the, because of when they sent Riley down today was the first day when they would have been able to activate Forber without doing anything else. Like it's, I don't know. I don't know the if it timing was all, like, seems... if it was all part of the master plan and then you like they really did have this plan down to the very day or if uh they just sort of by coincidence that ended up t- lining up that way but either way yeah like you said the, they now they now have their team and uh you know I, I do think like the, they still might be looking to move Riley because him being in Providence is not really an ideal situation for Certainly for Riley, but like also just for the team, because it's like they eventually as capsules to Cruz, they might have enough to call him back up at some point. But like right now they don't. So they can't even, you know, it's like you can't even bring him up. He's just kind of stuck there. Well, yeah, and it doesn't
2: go ahead. Bri.
0: No, I was just going to say like. Th- there's really no reason to there's no incentive right now to move Craig Smith either, because. You know it's a long season. You know somebody's going to go down, and and there you go. Now here comes Craig Smith off the ninth floor. So it's just like even now he's not happy about that, right? Because until something happens, or unless you know Montgomery wants to shake things up, like there's no reason for him to go in the lineup right now, and he's just sitting there on his thumbs upstairs. But which sucks for him personally. But yeah, I mean it's just now he could just sit there until they need him, really, or yeah, and, and shake he, things up.
2: Either way, like you never know who's going to get hurt, and also like he could still be like on a cup winning team, even if he stays here the rest of the year, like he's on a team that he like presumably enjoys the team culture, like the, the locker room culture, the teammates that he has, everybody seems to really like each other on this team. So it's not all that bad. Once you get over the fact that you're not like in the lineup on a daily basis, but that could change at any point. Like Trent Frederick could get hurt again and, or, or Greer, or you never know.
1: Yeah, and Smith's a little banged up himself right now anyways. Um, yeah, or or just someone could struggle and they could be not. Like, you know, it, I mean, Greer and Frederick are, have certainly been playing better than Smith to this point in the season, but it's not like, like the gap in quality between those players is enormous. Like, you know, Greer or Frederick take a downturn for a week and you get Smith back in and maybe he ramps his game up and, you know, like there's some interchangeability there where it's like it wouldn't surprise me at all if 2 3 weeks from now we're like hey smith has looked really good on the third line the last couple of games or or the fourth line or wherever like it, you know it's not like it, it wouldn't take a whole lot for him to get in the lineup and you can still you can still see a situation where he takes advantage of that opportunity even though it you know hasn't really happened yet this season
2: yeah, it hasn't happened yet, but you like you know he has that ability. He wasn't he wasn't terrible all of last year. He had some quieter spells, but like you got to imagine that once he gets healthy, he might be able to make a case for himself at some point. It seems like he has at least a little bit more time now that this move with Strawman um you know cleared up somehow enough space for them to get Forbert back in. And by the way, just to tie up this Conversation about Strawman. uh there's a little bit of a weird situation with him because he came to Boston, kind of agreed like, okay, if you sign me, like this is gonna be, I'm gonna be on Boston, and he doesn't really want to play in the AHL. So,
1: no, he, I, I would be shocked if he plays a game in the AHL. Um, I think, you know, Steve Steve Conroy had tweeted earlier today. He talked to Strawman's agent. He said like, where we're looking over our options over the next few days and you know, I could see one, I could see him potentially just retiring Like if, if he feels like his game isn't where he needs or wants it to be and feels like, you know, might not even work out in, like with another team, I could see him retiring or I could see if he thinks, you know what, like I, I do still have something and, and I, I, you know, I want another chance and things just haven't quite clicked in Boston then I could see a a mutual agreement to terminate his contract where he would become a free agent again, and then he can sign, you know, another one year deal with some other team that's willing to give him a shot. So I think both of those are are on the table. I I don't think him actually playing in Providence is, is going to happen, but you know, I guess crazier things have happened. If he wants to stay, if he wants to stay with the organization, I guess, you know, that could be a possibility.
2: Yeah it sucks for him because obviously that's just like he did not expect nobody he probably doesn't even know what like what Providence is like he probably doesn't know too much about the area and any anything like I don't know why anyone would want to get sent down but the thing about that is like unfortunately for the Bruins it'd be great if they could keep him there because then he's the next guy you call up like he there's someone else that you can call up to the lineup if someone else gets injured or or for whatever reason you need someone he was reliable when he came in he wasn't perfect and you know you could tell there was a little bit of um slowness to his game but he wasn't a terrible option he was a good option to have so um the fact that he kind of doesn't he doesn't remain an option after this because he's not gonna most likely not going to go play for the ahl and and you know you won't have the ability to call him back up essentially um this was a kind of just a permanent move
0: and you know similar to that point bridget like similar to craig smith if i'm if i'm strawman and his agent and they're talking about you know possibilities of where he could of his next move like he could report to providence and they could end up shipping out riley and clearing up even more cap space. And like, like Bridget said, like, you could be in a situation where you're back with this team in the second half of the season, or certainly in the playoffs as an extra body as well. Um, and you know, the other, the other thing that comes to mind when I hear talking over options is maybe if he does see himself on, you know, the, the last hole of his career, um, maybe, maybe he, he and his family would, wouldn't mind moving back to Sweden and playing in the, uh, Swedish Elite League or something like that to just kind of you know play one final year somewhere who knows but um, in any event um, not to bury the lead the the Bruins beat the the Lightning three to one tonight at the Garden improved to thirteen 13- yes Bridget
2: this is all Scott's fault
0: what what, what what's that, that oh we're yeah, talking yeah about IR. Listen,
1: when you come back, you got to make an impact right off the bat. So <laughs> I felt like I really needed to completely derail this.
0: Yeah, it's right all the started so.
2: because we needed to find out how to get Scott back in the lineup and clear some cap space. So yeah,
0: no, I mean, look, tip of the cap to Scott. First shift, take a hit, make a hit. You know, he's he's finding ways to to impact the game right away. He's he's that's that's what you want to do when you first get back. Keep things simple. Um, but yeah, so so the Bruins. They beat the Lightning for the second time in about a week and a half stretch. Um, three to one at the Garden. They get two holes from Taylor Hall and an empty net from Marchand. Now, before we kind of dive into the game, I did want to lead with this. We've talked about over the last couple of weeks. We've we have talked about the the line combinations and in, in, in Krejci with Zaka and Pashtunak. and I I want to bring it up again because it seems like it's more of a potential long term situation where. It it looks like Montgomery might want to have Taylor Hall in the third line just to have depth at forward that no other team in the league, maybe besides, you know, maybe one other team can kind of match that. It's And so I guess.
2: Post game, that was a huge conversation. That was a huge theme. So we'll get into that. Post game conversations with players and coach.
0: Yeah, so I guess I'm just going to throw to you guys real quick. Like, do you, what do you think Jim Montgomery's motivation is here? Do you think it's to create depth? Uh, even more depth, which we we think they have anyway. Even if Zaka's not their line, do you think it was to wake up Hall, who didn't doesn't seem like he needed a huge wake up call, but everybody no. can use it. Or is it just you know maybe try to f- have Coil and Frederick's style of play drag Taylor Hall into the fight a little bit more into an idiot grittier style of play as opposed to Krejci and and Pasternak, who are a little bit more finesse.
2: Well, Coach actually answered that, so he said that one of the one of the greatest things about working with a player like Taylor Hall is that his ego, it, it, he's very mature. He doesn't let his ego get in the way of, you know, coach tells you to go play on the third line when you're a former number one overall pick and you're used to being the guy on certain teams that you've been on in the past. He said that when he moved Hall to the third line, Hall was completely fine with it. And he also mentioned that he likes how he plays with Coyle um, the way that Coyle can kind of clear space out for him and Hall can spend time with the puck on his stick and, and make his moves towards the net and, and whatnot. So it it was a conscious, conscious decision to put Coyle and Hall together and see how those players could work together and, and um, play off each other in that way. It had nothing to do with trying to wake Hall up at all. He said it was, you know, he, he likes to be able to split them up and, and have Hall not complain about it and have, it work out the way it has recently.
1: Yeah. I I mean, he's also not going to say that, you know, part of it was to wake hall up or to wake anyone else up. Like that's just not really Montgomery's style. Um, I, I do. I think it was probably a bit of all of the above. Like, I think part of it is that that second line wasn't quite taking off the way that, you know, everyone hoped it would. Um, And I, you know, and I think part of it is this desire that Montgomery has to have, have guys be able to play with multiple different players and play in multiple different spots. And this is sort of something that he's now settled on, you know, for a couple games and might ride with a bit. Um, And I do think it's Brian. I think that this is kind of what you're getting at is that Hall, Krejci, Pascinark line. You know, they were they weren't always like cycling and kind of playing on the puck the way that you want. There were too many kind of one and done trips into the offensive zone. And I think that's a combination that can make Hall, Critchie, pass together. I'm talking about that can make a lot of magic happen, but can also maybe not always quite have like the second effort in the offensive zone that, that you're looking for that, you know, can, Ease up a little bit at times, and so I think you know Zach is someone who can bring a little bit grittier styles of that second line, and then you put Hall with Coil and Frederick, two guys who are going to hold on to pucks and you know have more possession in the offensive zone, and it sort of forces Hall to play a little bit more like that. Um, and again, like that's you go you go back to last year, Hall and Coil together from the start of the season. Didn't really work out. Like it seemed like their styles were too different, um, and I and it was interesting. Like because Hall addressed that after the game. You know what's mm-hmm. different now versus last season, and he said like, "Well, I think I just know Charlie Coyle better as a player. Like not even just from playing with him, but just from being on his team for a full season." He, you know, he said like, "Even last year, I felt like if I ended up playing with Coyle again later in the year, things would have been better." Because I just had a, a much better idea of how he played and what I would need to do if I were on his wing, um, you know. So I, I do think the two of them are in a better spot. And then whether it's been Smith or, or Frederick on the right, I, you know, I think can help um, bring a style that that Hall seems more equipped to play than he probably was when he first got here, you know, uh, a year and a half ago or, or even early last season.
2: Yeah, I think he's a smart player. And so he picks up on things and pays, pays pretty close attention to things. So that it kind of makes sense that he was able to figure that, like figure out how to fit on that line better the more that he knew Coyle. And he also said in the post-game scrum that Charlie Coyle is not a third line center on most teams. Um, so he doesn't look at it as a demotion at all to, to be playing on a line with Charlie Coyle. And that he yeah, did, he uh, did mention that that just shows the depth of the team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I asked him that, like, you know, was there a part of you that looked at it as a demotion like, was there like a mental aspect you had to kind of get over? And, and he said like, no, like, it, you know, it, if this is what we think is best for the team, like it, you almost don't even look at it as, as numbered lines. You just look at it as, you know, go out when it's your turn to go. And especially like five on five, it's, they do roll lines a lot. You know, there's not there ha- when they're playing well and they're going like, there isn't a whole heck of a lot of a difference in, in five on five ice time, certainly between those top three lines. Sometimes the fourth line gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but um, you know, they're still going to get their minutes and, and Hall's still going to be on the second power play unit, which is where he scores his, his second goal tonight. Um, so yeah, like it, it It almost isn't a, or it's easy not to look at it as a demotion, I I guess, if you're Taylor Hall, because it's like, I think he's the kind of guy who can embrace, you know what? I'm going to help make this the best third line in the NHL. Like I I can see that being something where he's like, okay, that like, that's, that's what I'm going to do now. That's what we're going to be.
2: Yeah. And, and sorry to Brian, just one last thing before we let you talk. Um, he coach Montgomery said no matter where, Taylor Hall is even on the third line. He's going to be getting 15 minutes a night. And he was right around that again today. So still, it's no like demotion in ice time. That's for sure.
0: I just find it interesting that the Bruins have had about between between regular season and playoffs. So this is dating back to the year before last at the end. And now this year, they've probably had something like 30 or so games, give or take with the possibility of having a line of Krejci, Paschenak, and Hall. Now, uh, a year and a half ago, they elected to go with Hall, Krejci, and Craig Smith and keep that top line together still. Uh, and this year, like we've talked about, it they've only had a few games together. And even in some of those games, they kind of mixed and matched. And you're talking about not just Bruce Cassidy having this control. Now you're talking about a second head coach and Jim Montgomery, who... They just haven't, because because when I think of the Hall Krejci Pasternak combination, I just feel like it hasn't been given a huge chance. It hasn't been given a lot of leash, and I just wonder if if the coaching staff is seeing something like what we're talking about, where yes, there is there is magic to be made, but is the style do the styles of play consistently mesh? And I just feel like if you're Jim Montgomery. Because let's be honest, Coyle, Hall, and Frederick was not a combination we had in our preseason bingo cards. And even saying it out loud right now and seeing how it's like not bad, it's just it's sounds weird to say. Um but if you're Jim Montgomery, I think the way you sell it is Taylor, like this is this is your line. Similar to when we talk about Lindholm and McAvoy being on different D pairs, letting them letting them control the ice all by themselves and not have to be with somebody equal to them or better and kind of like, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? It's it's kind of like they're doing the same thing here with the forward groups. Like if you have a line with passion, I call them crazy. That's a lot of chefs in the kitchen that they want their touches. They have the skill set to, to execute, but can you, can you create that chemistry where it, you're, you're all, you're all in on the action. And I just feel like it's while off the ice, they, they would say they have no problem doing that. I think sometimes when you're in the middle of a game, these guys are you know the greatest in the world at what they do they want the puck on their stick and i just think that if you put coil i'm sorry hall on a line with coil and frederick there's no debating you know who we want the the, the, whose stick we want to have the puck on their stick when when you need to create scoring chances and um i think that that's probably how they're selling it to them and quite honestly i don't i don't hate the idea like i don't hate the idea of having a third line with Taylor Hall on it. It just feels weird to say because it just seems, it just doesn't seem right. But for all the reasons we've talked about for right now, I have no issue with it.
2: I think Brian also like, it's like a respect thing, right? Like when you put three, but when you, when you get put on a line with David Krejci and David Pasternak, you want to show them respect and give them the puck. So like you're taking chances away from yourself as well. Um, And same, like you see, when guys play together and, and they lose that shoot first mentality a little bit because they're they're wanting to dish the puck to a Pasternak or, or a Marshan so that they um they just feel like that might be the better move rather than them being the one to keep the puck on their stick and go towards the net. Um, so it's it's kind of weird in that way when a lot of good guys play with each other they're kind of like no you shoot it no you shoot it you're really good you shoot it you have the puck right
0: where like Trent Frederick isn't he has no doubt if <laughs> like look you don't you don't, you don't want to be too selfless and you know pass up you know a golden chance to score but like it is David Krejci now it's it's twofold because if you if you're on a line with Krejci and Pasternak in theory they're going to create a lot of space for you out there because defenders and oppositions are going to be so focused on okay, make sure you don't let Pashnak get loose. Like, like focus on Pashnak. And then while you're doing that, oh, wait a minute, here comes Taylor Hall down the left wing streaking and creature's gonna hit him and everybody's focusing on Pashnak. So there is that element of it too. But from a physicality standpoint, Charlie Coyle's puck puck protection and size and physicality along with Trent Frederick, especially in the offensive zone beneath the dots, like should Should open up a lot of space with Taylor Hall because, you know, they're just going to be so difficult to take off the puck. Coil in particular, so in in that sense, he'll get more room playing with them for a different reason. But like like tonight's in tonight's game, you saw Taylor Hall when he was on the ice with his line mates, kind of taking over plays in a way that you probably wouldn't see him regularly with Pashenak and Krejci because they're all you know, Pashenak in particular is an all world player. So it's definitely interesting to follow. And the other thing too, with Taylor Hall is he's not in the first power play unit. And even then that you can't argue it because the Bruins, I think have the best power play in the league or they're right there. And the second unit, as a matter of fact, they've done a lot of the damage in in the last handful of games too. I mean, your second unit, you're rolling out Linholm, Krejci, Taylor Hall, um, Zaka, and a, you know, Nick
2: Foligno
0: and a Benjamin Button version of Nick Foligno. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty, it's the depth that they can roll out was pretty impressive. And they're not, they're not 19 and three by luck. They're 19 and three because when you have the amount of depth that the Bruins do as when it comes, as it pertains to game changers and whatnot, it can be somebody every single night. Whereas in the past, you know, they've, they've. They found their their way to have hundred plus point seasons, but it was oftentimes in the back of their power play and their top guys. But now you can have a given night where Zaka goes out there and scores two goals, and the Bruins win three to one, or you know, it just or it doesn't matter. There's a lot of depth to go around.
1: Yeah, and you know you you especially think about on a night like tonight when you're facing Tampa, and we know one of their calling cards for all the success they've had in recent years has been how good their third line has been. Like that's it's. It was critical, you know, three years ago when they beat the Bruins in the playoffs. It's been, it was critical in both their cup wins. It was critical with kind of, you know, a different look third line, but again, offensive depth last year when they get back to the cup final. Um, and now you see a night like tonight and it's like, now the Bruins are the team that has that third line where you're like, wow, like there's there's not many teams that can match up with that. Like that's, that's a damn good third line, especially when you put, to, it was a good third line before you swap Zaka and Hall and now it just looks even stronger, you know, assuming obviously that uh that that second line is able to produce and I think they've been pretty good so far. I think you're still waiting for, you know, a little bit more um you know five and five scoring from them, but for the most part they they they've looked good. And you know, with Hall in the third line, like the one thing that I was thinking of tonight is like the only thing I could think of that really really is similar is one of the years that the Penguins won the cup when they went back to back, I don't think they did the second year, but the first year Phil Kessel was on the Penguins third line. He, He did not play with Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. He was on the third line with Nick Bonino and Carl Hagelin. And it was like that it created so many mismatches in the playoffs because it was like, what team has the depth to match up with a third line that has Phil Kessel on it? Like, you know, he was pretty much in his prime or just getting towards probably the end of his prime years at that point. And it's like, yeah, n- not, not many. Like that's, that's a really tough matchup for teams to handle. And it's the same thing now. Like if, if Taylor Hall stays there and look, it's, he's not, they're not going to roll with this like all season long, There's going to be plenty of changes between now and, and March and April. And they, but maybe they settle back on this. Like maybe, you know, they at least have this as an option. Um, And if Hall's playing the way he's capable of playing, that just becomes such a huge problem for other teams. And to figure out like, oh, oh, great. We just survived shifts from the Bergeron line and the crazy Passenach line. And now we have to deal with Taylor Hall coming on. Like that's, it's a nightmare.
2: Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, first of all, we, we say this all the time. It's a good problem to have. Like the fact that every single combination seems to find a way to work um you know it's not a bad thing that you you have to you know sometimes not even have to that you can move it around and see what works and and how different people play together and then that way say you get to the playoffs you can you know you don't have to show your hand and then all of a sudden next thing you know perfection lies together and then next thing you know you know Checklines split up, hauled back on it. Like you, you could go to a bunch of different looks. You're not going to be in a situation where you have to give uh, the team you're playing in the playoffs, the same look over and over again. And you might be able to cause some confusion that way. Um, and change the, change the matchups, the coverage, um, just depending on the team and the game, sometimes it really just has to do with what team you're playing against, whether or not you would want to have Hall on the second line or the third line, or, or, you know, you'd want to try the perfection line for a small amount of time or, or whether that would be your best combo. It depends on your opponent, but to be able to have all those options um, is, is a good thing.
0: And just to put things, just to put their depth up front and in, into perspective, um, you know, the Stanley Cup champions from last year, the Colorado Avalanche, and they're also the Bruins' next opponent on Saturday. So just a quick little exercise. Now, there's a pretty important player I'm not going to mention because he's out, but I'm going to read off their lines tonight from their game against the Jets. Just And, and match this up in your mind when I read these, these lines off. You have Lekinen, McKinnon, Rantanen. Obviously, two or three of those guys are elite, elite. Lekkanen's a nice little player. He's nothing crazy. Cogliano, JT Comfer, uh, O'Connor. Galchenyuk, Newhook, and Foudi, and then Anton Bleed, and then these two guys I've never heard of before. So I'll say their last names, Meghna and Hunt. My point is, um, now, obviously, Gabe landis I did not read off. He must be hurt. So my, But that's the Colorado Avalanche, the, fo- the defending champs, and projected to win the Cup this year. One of the favorites. I feel like I'm breaking it out because you guys are breaking yeah. it out. But, okay. Um, so, so that just, no, just could right, Brian you jinxed yourself <laughs> what's what's that you jinxed yourself you were fine
1: then you make a comment about breaking up and then you broke up
2: <laughs> and then you froze right away
0: <laughs> so those were Colorado's lines for tonight versus Jets now all I was getting at was compare that to the Bruins forward lines like the the abs are the defending champs and probably the odds on favorite to win the cup again this year or be there at the end. And even with Landis Cog out of the lineup for for Colorado, he inserted him back in the lineup, like line for line, the Bruins are right there with Colorado, if not better on paper. So it just goes to show the depth. Now on the back end, Colorado has sick depth too, but so do the Bruins. So my point is that like, we've seen the Bruins play Carolina. We've seen them play the Rangers, Pittsburgh, uh, Florida, Tampa, these are all some of the top teams in the league. Obviously, we saw them play Toronto, but that was kind of an off game considering the news that broke that day or the day before. But we know what Toronto is. The Bruins are up there with everybody, if not better than most on paper with the, with the depth. So it's just very, very impressive.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, the, I wish the Avs were, were at full strength because even in addition to Landis, like they're also missing Valerina Shushkin right now, Evan Rodriguez, there, you know, what I call middle six third line signing this off season who would have at least helped with some of that depth. Um, so, you know, I still think they're going to be a, a, it's a good test for the Bruins. It's still another good opponent to face, but you're not getting them at, at quite at, you know, a hundred percent, which it's kind of a bummer. Cause like, I, I really just want to see this Bruins team against everyone at their best because uh, you know, they just got Tampa pretty, pretty much at their best at full strength and have beaten them twice. They beat Carolina. Like uh, it, it's really impressive. So, you know, Colorado's next up, but probably Vegas might be a little bit better of a challenge right now for the Western conference teams. Um, But yeah, I mean, to your point, like Colorado had great depth last year and then uh, for, for cap reasons, couldn't keep it all together. And we've seen the same thing in Tampa where they weren't able to keep all their depth together. Um, The Bruins won't be able to keep up, keep all their depth together probably as soon as next year Um, at the very least, you know, two years from now, but it's, it's hard to do, which is why like you really have to take advantage of it when you have it. Like is such a golden opportunity for the Bruins because it's extremely difficult to build a roster. That's this deep. And, we know why the Bruins have been able to do it because they have Bergeron and Krejci signed at way, way below market value. Like, yeah, if you number one and number two center are assigned for combined three and a half million dollars or whatever, like, yeah, you're, you're going to be able to, you should be able to build a pretty deep roster off that. Um, so yeah, the, you can line them up against anyone in the league and they're going to stack up really well because other teams just don't have that built-in advantage and, you know, have gone all in in other years and ended up in positions where they've had to move on from some guys. So, you know, it's, it's a great situation for the Bruins where they might be kind of hitting their peak as a team in terms of a deep roster as other teams have to do a little bit of, of, regrouping and you know long ways to go we'll see where everyone is at the end of the year but um, right now yeah you absolutely can stack them up against anyone Colorado Tampa or or anyone else
2: by the way to your point about this the you know not getting the abs at their best I mean at least you're not getting them at their best right now when you're still trying to like extend that home winning streak and just make it completely impossible for another team to like knock that record down so maybe when they play them on the road the following week you know if they're healthy if the abs are healthy by then that'll be when you can get your your look at them but as of right now the Bruins are trying to keep that going and they have the abs in Vegas who are going to be two really tough teams and obviously the extra motivation for Cassidy to try to end that streak, um, when he comes in with Vegas, um, coming up. So, and by the way, I'm pretty sure that their, um, Western road trip, that the biggest challenge they're going to face is, uh, December 9th against the Coyotes.
1: Yeah. Well, Coyotes goalie, Carol, uh, I'm totally going to mispronounce his last name, but vimelka um, He's been on fire. And like, I only noticed this because I saw him like pop up in fantasy hockey when I was looking at potentially replacing Lena uh, if Allmark had missed time. And I was like, wow, okay. Like, Arizona's goalie is apparently now one of like the best goalies in fantasy hockey and has been red hot recently.
2: I was being facetious.
1: I know you were. But
2: (laughs) what I'm saying, we're like, actually, Bridget, you're right. Do not
1: underestimate Carol Vermelka. Or of course Nick Ritchie. Never underestimate Nick mm-hmm. Ritchie either.
0: So, Scott, to the point about the depth earlier and having Bergeron and Creechy at your one and two centers at you know whatever it is at you know three million or whatever. The roster is set up right now as good as any roster ever has been to try to win a Stanley Cup. And and I mean that from different perspectives. I mean that from the from you know the depth of the personnel, but also the combination of the players you have on the team and where they're at in their careers, right? Like 2019, it's it's hard to, to remember, but it feels like it was so long ago and other times I feel like it was yesterday, but McAvoy was only two years into his NHL career. And, you know, David Pashnak was still only like 24-ish or 23, whatever he was. So like, the, like their young stars were still young. But right now, I mean, Pashnak is 26 years old. McAvoy is twenty four ish, Dubrascky is twenty six, I think. Like, they're not kids anymore. Like, you know, in in the grand scheme of the world, they are, but in the hockey world, like, they're they're entering their their professional primes. And you combine that with the veterans that have been there and done that, like Krejci and 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 Marchand and and um, Bergeron, obviously. Hampus Lindholm is you know twenty eight years old. He's been around for a long time. Taylor Hall, same thing. Like, it just feels like everything is set up for them to do something this year and i guess i guess my my question to you guys is how much of a disappointment would it will it be for you guys if they if they don't and i'm even talking if they go to the finals and lose because this team has been to the finals 3 times and they've lost twice and it's not it's Boston's not the type of town where it's forgivable to go to the finals and lose if you go to the finals we expect you to win and the way they've started this year and with the importance of, of them winning because of their, the uncertainty of their future, obviously Bergeron and Martian are not around forever and creature. I mean, as soon as possibly next year for a couple of them. Like, would it be disappointing for you guys given their start and the cap, you know, feng shui they've done, all that, if they, if they don't win this year?
1: I think if they continue like this, yes. Like, though that those will become the expectations.
2: They are. I almost. Are they not already?
1: Uh,
2: Internally?
1: Yes. Like that's their expectation. Um, I guess more from kind of like the outside. I feel like because so few people going into the season expected them to win the cup or even be a serious contender that you know, so much of the start has just been like pleasant surprise. Like, wow, isn't this awesome? And now I think like, especially as you go through this stretch of games against other tough teams, like if you keep winning through this now, I think this is when it starts to shift to like, all right, this isn't just a really good start. This isn't just a pleasant surprise or a good story. These are the Stanley Cup favorites.
2: Don't you already feel like that though? Like you yourself, I I do. Yes, I feel like that already.
1: But I'm wondering more from like the bigger picture of the whole Boston sports scene: fans, media. There's no changing the
2: freaking Patriots people. I'll tell you that right now.
1: What? It's still
2: gonna it's it's still gonna be Patriots, 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 even if they suck. No, the I don't, don't. I don't gonna... mean
1: like what. I do like. I don't mean like what sports rate is like oh, talking okay. about. I, I mean like
2: say it's that's just how it is here. No,
1: I mean like how people view the Bruins. Like I, I think that I think that shift is happening right now, where it's kind of on mass going from, uh, you know, real, like great start, pleasant surprise, fun stuff to, hey, like. Shouldn't this team win the Stanley Cup? Like, uh, that they look really good. Maybe we should start talking about them as as Stanley Cup favorites. I feel like we're we're I feel like we're getting there very quickly.
0: So, personally, if this is the roster that, or I'll put it this way: if they go into the playoffs and they' healthy and all of their key players or top guys stay healthy and never and never go down with a serious long-term injury I'll be very disappointed if uh if they don't based off of what I've seen now because going into the year like you know Nick Felino has proven now he's not the same player he was last year he he's he's already matched his point totals from last year so if anything it's telling me that last year, And the little stint in Toronto may have been his, his career anomaly. Um, And he's just one example, you know, Pavel Zaka is a really good player. They got AJ Greer is making a difference. You know, all, all their, all their role players are playing really well, but I would be very disappointed because I'm watching a team who personnel wise is better than their counterparts in the Eastern conference on paper. And so far on the ice and I feel like in 2013, you ran into a Blackhawks team that was in the middle of a dynasty and in all likelihood may have been a player better than you on paper. And there was no shame in losing to them, despite how gut-wrenching game six was. Fact of the matter is Bergeron probably wouldn't have played in game seven anyway, and they may have lost that series anyway. Now, we can go back in time and talk about how they're up to one in that series, and we're an overtime goal away from being up three to one, but I'll digress. But the Blackhawks series losing, you could understand it. I think they completely choked away and let that St. Louis series slip out of their fingers. Uh, to lose three of four games at home, inexcusable. So because because I feel like they got outworked in that series and let they let that series slip away. They 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 need to they need to. They need to make make right for that, in my opinion, and they have the roster to do so. I'm not being I'm not being um you know, I'm not giving them unreasonable goals here. Like if if this if this you were you didn't hear me saying this last year because I knew that this that the roster wasn't what it what it was. It wasn't a cup winning roster last year. It just wasn't this is Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy is phenomenal on the back end to start with. And they have the depth up front. Um, if you lose to Carolina or you lose to Toronto or the Rangers or whomever in the Eastern conference, I just think it's a big disappointment. And then if you from there, if you go to the, if you go to the finals, I mean, like I said, I mean, tell me who they play, but I think they could beat anybody. So I'll be disappointed mainly because they let 19 slip through their fingers. And because of what Scott mentioned, how, if it wasn't for Bergeron and Creechy taking these discounts, you aren't able to construct the roster around them right now. Uh, and you don't forget you have Martian and passion back at like six and change still. So given the fact that you only have one guy making market value, really, at least as a top player in McAvoy, it's kind of like they have no excuse not to. So I would be, I would be, be disappointed. My expectations have changed and rightfully so.
2: I think that the most disappointing thing for me, if they had, especially if they go to the final and lose would just be the fact that you really want Bergeron to end his career on, you know, a cup run or, or get at least another one, say maybe he decides to come back one other year after this, but like, you know, that him and Krejci are at the end of their, their careers and it would be most disappointing. And it would be really disappointing for the, the the team around them. If they weren't able to pull that off for them. I think that that's just like the general feeling that you get and the respect that people have for Bergeron and, and wanting to make sure that the window, like they don't close the window without, getting a stanley cup this year i think just because this popped in my mind while you were talking brian this was kind of funny um during the post-game press conference it was kind of a stupid question so this is probably why the answer was a little bit um out of whack but dan shaughnessy asked uh jake DeBrusk about like why is this team better this year than last year and like it kind of came across as like mean, <laughs> and the Russ kind of like didn't know how to answer it, and he was like, "Well, we mostly have the same team as last year. Like, it's not, you know, it's. I mean, we got Krejci back, but like, in reality, the team had a lot of changes. Like, at like from at least from how the team started last year. Like, you don't have Lindholm at the beginning of the season. You don't have Krejci. You don't have Greer. Felino's not playing the same way. Like." It just was kind of funny when he, when he answered that question. Like, no, we're pretty much the same team. Like, yeah, you guys are a lot of the same team, but you got to admit that the, the additions that you did get added so much.
1: Yeah. Well, and by the way, Jake, they didn't have the same Jake DeBrusque for the first half of last year. So no, didn't. They, you know, his, <laughs> by his, this time his last own individual year, he was asking for a also, trade. Yeah. Also a big part of that
0: what what's what is the brusque supposed to do is he supposed to you know explain to to dan shaughnessy how the the the, the impact that hampus lindholm has in transition and and pushing offense and i mean and, and like you know a guy like shaughnessy has no idea who's who pavel zaka is and like i'm not saying zaka is a superstar but like he's i mean he's a very solid solid middle six forward that they added to this team that they didn't have last year like i said you can, you can almost, I know, I know Krejci replaced Halla as the second line center, but let's remember like Zaka and Hala were the ones that got traded one for one. So in my mind, I've always kind of been like, you got Zaka for Halla, and then Krejci was the kind of like, quote unquote, free, free ad in the off season that you added to this team. And I think one for one, and we've talked about it before, I think Zaka is probably a better player all around than Halla, and he's younger and he's bigger. I mean, like, I think tonight's a perfect example. Like, the, the game winning goal is a perfectly encapsulates what I mean when I say, like, Zaka's not lighting it up in the score sheet, but he's doing a lot of great things to help them win games. Like, oh, I know he missed oh the my open net tonight. He almost
2: fucking I know, I know. So but he,
0: he, he has hit a few of those too in recent games. But, you know, he he's helping create in the board battle. He he gets the puck to Lindholm, down to Felino, and then in Hall. So he doesn't factor in on the score sheet, but he's very and much a he, part of that. You know goal. What's
1: weird? He actually did end up getting an assist on that. Oh, and- really? And Lindholm didn't. So somehow, and Zach got the first right. assist. So uh, <laughs> Felino's pass to Hall must have like just glanced off Zaka's stick or skate or something on,
0: on its way through. Hmm, interesting. Well then, hey, he, it it did that's make good make karma a
2: redirection. for him. It did make a redirection. I thought it maybe went off Vasilevsky or someone or on the way through, but who knows? Maybe good it karma was Zaka. for him.
0: But yeah, I mean, like it's it's... To that to to that point, like Bridget, you mentioned AJ Greer. It's if when you think about how's this team different than last year. Well, first of all, Lena Solmark was not playing like a Vesna caliber goalie last year. He he played really respectably last year, but like he right now he's a he's like a Vesna candidate right now. So that's a big difference. Um, and you know you added you added Krejci, you added Zaka, you added Greer up front, and. Let's be honest, you added Nick Felino. I said that last week too, but you added Nick Felino. I mean, this is who he was most of his career, minus the last year and a half. Like, you, he was there in person, but he was not affecting the team at all. And this is how he affected teams in, that he played on in the past for the last 10 to 12 years of his NHL career. So you almost added him to on the up front. So yeah. it is a different I mean, team. The right By way to ask the question Foligno.
2: would have just been what are you guys doing right this year? Um, you know that's caused your success like you did no need to just be like you guys sucked last year what's the difference <laughs> like you could well, just been like say su- that okay no but that's what like year. that's like what the space or expression yeah. was. she's was reading was between like-
0: the lines scott you should try it sometime yeah I've, I've, read between I've, the lines two
1: quick comments on both of those first on on felino by the way with that assist uh already matched his uh season point total from last year um and then on Shaughnessy's like I don't know, you know, I'm not like going to be the like I'm not going to like gatekeep covering the Bruins. Like the, the more media, the better. But you could tell that it was like it was sort of you know the Dan Shaughnessy. Like I guess I should write about the Bruins moment because you know like obviously he's not there that much. Like uh, hockey's not his main sport. It's it's baseball, well, his football, daughter, and, and, his and daughter basketball. His daughter is a college.
2: His daughter plays college hockey for Yale
1: yeah but you know he doesn't he doesn't do much Bruins, but like it, it's fine like whatever if sean- if Sean's writing about the Bruins that's that that's fine but yeah but to your point like it was it's obviously a question that like the players have been asked a million times already this year, like you know ten wins ago, but um
2: if you're not there all the oh time, well. you don't know like what people have already covered and <laughs> like if you're being redundant in different things so. Anyhow, I just thought it was funny that the answer was like didn't make a whole lot of sense because I think the question was just he was very confused.
0: Um, did you guys have any other takeaways from this game against Tampa Bay? I know we haven't done the game too much, but
2: we got a chance to talk to Forbert and Carlo after the game as well. Um, defend like if we want to just touch on defensively and goaltending for a sec. Um uh so on the goaltending side of things Montgomery said he thought that was Swayman's best game of the year I still feel that sometimes I see the puck coming at Swayman and like the rebound control he has still some issues with um and when the puck's coming at him I just don't like this is because Allmark has been playing so well but there's just a little bit less like trust that he's gonna make that stop like at least when I'm sitting there, I'm I'm thinking, okay, maybe he has it. But with Allmark, it's like, oh, he's got this. <laughs> so it just feels like there's still like you trust Allmark more. Swayman did have a good game, obviously, only letting up the one goal, but um, the rebound control was a little sketchy. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know the the, the one thing that I notice with Swayman sometimes is. And I noticed him once tonight on it was like kind of like a low angle chance and it was a a backhander flipped on. And I feel like sometimes with those almost like chaos plays where it's not like a straight on shot. Like it's like like it takes him like a an extra just half a beat to figure out where the puck's dropping because like it'll hit him. He'll be in good enough position to stop it. But then it's like he's got to kind of quickly look down and like figure out where it where it went after it hit him. Um, but no, but for the most part, yes, he was, he was very good. And I think Montgomery's right. I think it, especially considering the opponent, I do think it was his best game of the year and and he's, uh, you know, he's picked it up since, since he came back. I mean, he was good in the Carolina game too. So when he came in in relief, like mm-hmm. I, he didn't, I don't think he faced a ton of shots, but he had to make a couple of key saves there. So
2: and without um, him, without some of the saves that he made there, the Bruins don't break the streak for yeah. home wins. So, like, he came in clutch in that game when he, when he came in, when Allmark got hurt. Um, and so the, those were two really important spots, you know, saving the streak at home and then keeping it alive today against Tampa Bay. The only goal you give up is to Steven Stamkos for his 999th point. But, I mean, I'm sure yeah, the on ones a, are really
1: on happy. A wide, it's wide open
0: one-timer with, like, yeah, no chance. Which, by the way, like, what, how, what, you know, when the game first started and Nesson showed the graphic of Stamkos being at point number 998, I was like, oh no. I was like, it would be poetic justice if I wasn't a Bruins fan, if I was a neutral hockey fan. I was like, could you imagine if Tampa Bay swarms their uh, Stamkos after getting a thousandth point at the Garden in a, in a lightning win? Um, like the Bruins did for Bergeron, like I was like, that's not that far fetched to think that he just gets two points and then Tampa tries to do it to the Bruins because the Bruins did it. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we loved watching it, but like, I'm sure the last thing Tampa wanted to do was delay the game four minutes when the Bruins left their bench to hug Bergeron in the middle of a, of a period down in Tampa right. on you know, on their home, their home ice. So I would, I, I think that they were chomping at the bit to do it to the Bruins for payback if if the opportunity presented itself. But obviously, it, fortunately, it didn't.
2: I kind of wish that the, the goal was his 1,000th, though, just so Scott and I could have been there to see it. And, like, this, the the outcome is the same, like, you know, but just that was his 1,000th point. <laughs> then we would have seen it, um, you know, because he did get so close, but no cigar.
0: Yeah. Also, yeah, I like, think, um, oh. yeah. on
1: Stamp goes that one of the moments I always think of with his career happened on Garden Ice, and I, you know, Remember it obviously because it was against the Bruins and I was there. But that that 2011 Conference Final when he took the shot to the face, I think it, it was a Johnny Boychuck slapper, and like just thought for like there's so much blood. Like just thought for sure like he's done. Like he's not coming back from that. And he comes back with the the cage, and he's got like just a huge gash on the side of his nose. Like that it was it was so nasty, and it was like dude's just a baller. Like that oh yeah you never you never forget that
0: well yeah well also like later in that game the the Nathan Horton goal that was the eventual game winner that sent the Bruins to the finals like you know Stamkos was the one back checking Horton on that play and you know I don't want to say the Bruins wouldn't have scored had Stamkos been able to breathe out of his nose but (laughs) but he's back checking but you know that could have played it that probably played a factor in him not getting back in time I and mean, he couldn't breathe so he's probably huffing and puffing up there but yeah he's a, and then you know a couple of years later he he ended up like breaking his fibia or something like that at the garden so not yeah. not the best strength for him to want to play in i'm probably i'm sure but um one other thing i wanted to comment on too because you guys were talking about swimming uh midway through the third period or maybe towards the second half of the third period uh he made a he made a, a right pad save on on Corey Perry on a two on one with Braden point and watching it on television. It was very, very clear that that puck was going right into the back of the net, middle of the net. Had it not been for a phenomenal, you know, read and, and save by Swayman. But on TV, Jack said, what a save by Swayman. It looked like it made me been going just a hair wide. And it's like, no, Jack, that was, that was dead nuts in the center of the net. If that wasn't going, if, if you didn't stop that. But, uh, that was that was. Wait, we talking about Christian Pulisic now? Yeah. <laughs> no, so, well, sorry. I, I, I heard say, you.
1: I heard you say "dead nuts." Sorry.
0: I, so,
2: <laughs> I will say, as a play-by-play broadcaster, if you're not looking at your monitor, like obviously he's not getting the same angle. He see we sit really far away. I will say that. So I give him a break on. But I that think. One. Ja-
0: but I think Jack. I, I think Jack watches it watches the monitor when he's calling i don't think he's watching the actual ice but regardless um either way well i bring up jack because it wasn't even it wasn't even the 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 wildest thing he said and, and maybe you guys didn't hear this because because you were in no person, the pizza but, um, i heard
2: i heard oh. the he was
0: fat shaming heard it yeah it's like it's 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 amazing By the way, um
2: there was three things that i wrote down today
0: that that jack said
2: yeah not besides the pizza at one point he said i will examine your sunburn to brick i forget the context and another point he said zaka had chinese mustard on that
0: somebody um so so anyway so a bunch of people were online and and the video and basically jack is just unprompted out of nowhere for no reason just fat shaming patrick maroon who at this point in the game i think played about 45 seconds and it's just like whatever it, it's what it is but on uh on one of the uh videos online somebody i i forget there's so many people tweeted the video and it was just in one of the replies somebody responded to the the video of jack going off on patrick maroon and said this is this is this is the all-time jack quote right here and it was a video from like during the during the uh the pandemic season when um they were playing in front of like no fans at the garden and i forget who they were playing but jack jack's going off on a tangent about how he's um about he, he said something like to jack uh to bricky's like um when i was when i was growing up my my sister was always taller than me and then and then and then one day i got taller than her and i pinned her down and i got on top of her and i said <laughs> i've been counting it, it was like it was the I was I I never remembered that being said, and when I watched that video tonight, I was like, "Oh my god!" I remember like,
2: that. I remember how awkward and uncomfortable yeah. that was, and the, the awkward silence from Brick. The total
0: silence. <laughs>
2: just incredible.
0: That can you can you imagine? Can you imagine Jack just pinning his sister down <laughs> and looking at her dead in the eyes while he's on top of her, saying, "I've been counting." <laughs>
2: it's, it's so it's weird. Just,
0: it's it's uh, look love him or hate him he's original there's nobody else like him and for that he he deserves all the credit in the world but my god does he make things uncomfortable the one thing i'll say about jack is i remember i've always had a soft spot for him and and don't get me wrong like i want to mute the tv 90 of the time i watch games but when i was younger my dad and i went to a game and we were sitting in the, the corner of the rink and um like i think two or two or three rows in front of us was um was jack and his kids and this is back when dale was doing the home games and jack was doing the road games so he just had the night off and he was with his kids and i was i was in middle school at the time but anyway so i you know i saw I, I got to see the human side of jack when i was younger and uh so i've always had a softball form i know it's it's, it's more or less an act but um yeah. or, it, or 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 is it but well, he
2: seems a lot calmer when you talk to him not <laughs> like when he's in the hallway after like a period or whatever
0: well, the best part about Jack and Scott, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Did you know where Jack got his, well, I, I shouldn't say his start, but did you know that he used to be a play-by-play soccer announcer for ESPN? Yeah. Can you, I, actually, can you imagine that Scott today, I'm, and, uh, Jack doing soccer play-by-play?
1: Yeah. I, I remember when he did soccer and I
0: was thinking about it today because I'm pretty
1: sure he did at least one, maybe two world cups for, for ESPN when they used to have it. Um, but yeah, that, that I think that was definitely his like first passion. I think he, you know, was doing that even, even before hockey, or maybe like at the same time. But yeah, for a while, that was definitely his his priority and kind of the the thing that he was best known for. Like he was he was one of the top top guys at ESPN and he was getting uh you know some of their biggest games.
2: Well, he also was in The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. That's as right. Just, yeah. as just, like, I'm just like watching and I'm like jack because yeah. he's talking because he's just at the desk like and he seems so much different and he sounds like a news person which is like it's almost like totally y- your brain can't even process <laughs> it's like the total calm like newsy like professional compared to what we hear um,
0: imagine imagine jack calling those games back in the day jordan slams duncan bugs Bunny, take that <laughs> you know something stupid like that we should we, we should we should get we should get jack on here if we can i would love to talk to jack edwards on this podcast
2: yeah we won't have a, a yeah. pretty long jack tangent at this point
0: well we won't ever let him know that uh you know <laughs> we, we, we we talked about him uh, you know, leaning on this you know the sister thing but that, that that one can stay so yeah we we have him on all right welcome to the skate podcast i'm brian Deville, joined by bridget prune scott mclaughlin and alongside jack edwards I'm Andy Brickley. Hey, Jack. Um, <laughs> talk to us about when you were on top of your sister that time. Like, what was that all about? <laughs> that would, that would probably would not go over too well.
2: Oh God. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone. Oh, he's gone. We lost him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Anyway, we 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 love you, know, you Jack. Some
1: jerk prank phone <laughs> called me earlier.
0: <laughs> and anyway, we we put that drop in. Dale here. Oh, that they play God. on the radio? yeah no, I, I look i I, I love jack uh, you know because he you know he 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 annoys me, but in, in in a loving way, but anyway, he 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 had that he, he had he had his little fun with Patrick maroon today. so I just think it's funny how like every like every like three or four games, five or six games, like Jack will just pick on a random player on the away team or you know or the opposition, just like he just like he's he's there punch his punching bag for the game, and it's just hilarious how it just he arbitrarily chooses who to go after, but
2: I would be in so much trouble if I did that.
0: By the way, so another just
1: total random stray thought here since we're already like off the rails. Uh, Seattle Kraken currently lead the Los Angeles Kings eight to six at the end of the second period. Wow. <laughs> like what on earth is going
0: on?
2: They're playing without the- goalies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the Kraken are their top 10 right now, by the way. I think they're like s- yeah. six of the, overall in the league or something like that. Um. But yeah. Oh, one other thing we might as well talk about while, while we're uh, while we're here.
1: Oh, I hope Jonathan Quick's not playing in that game because he's in my fantasy lineup. That's <laughs> that's going to be a disaster. <laughs> I just lost every goaltending category for the week if he if he's playing. Yeah,
0: that would be unfortunate for you. Um. So, guys, we we have have your opinions changed on the Winter Classic uniforms now that they've debuted the entire set? No not really i gotta i gotta i gotta be honest scott and bridget i can't believe and maybe it's just the cool thing to do and if it is be my guest like who am i to say everybody is talking about how much they love them and i'm sitting there asking myself like am i taking crazy pills like what are we talking about here (laughs) yes it it looks it looks they look like a banana peel like i don't i I don't understand a rotten banana peel because there's there's a little bit of you know, black and brown in there like the the the, the gloves are just the ra- most random puke yellow you'll ever see does not go with anything in the uniform like the socks i love the bruins traditional black jerseys with the yellow socks this is not me hitting on a black shirt yellow sock combination this this looks this does not look good they look like a like an echl team i don't like them at all i gotta be honest
1: yeah uh, i I was wondering, you know, when we saw the full uniform, if I'd like them a little more. I wouldn't say that I like them less. I just think my opinion hasn't changed. Like, I just think it's underwhelming overall. And, you know, uh, they took a, a good logo word wordmark, which they had already released with the meth bear and, and the way Boston's written like that. And then I think just surrounded it with like just not a very good jersey just really Mm -hmm. blah kind of uh you know it's similar to other throwbacks they've worn and um yeah the the yellow socks yellow gloves that i don't know all all of it together just doesn't really doesn't really work for me (laughs) i think it keeps it in like the same sort of c-grade range where where i was like it, it it almost, you know what it almost feels like is like, it's just. Like they got caught between doing something kind of new and original and also trying to be a throwback and just ended up in sort of like this no man's land where it doesn't really fit anything. And like, and I, I already mentioned it before, but like the, the logo doesn't really seem to fit with the rest of the jersey. Like the colors aren't even close to the same. That brownish color isn't incorporated anywhere else like it's other than the, the little lace tie at the on the neck but yeah i don't know it's it's fine and I, I i i don't totally hate it and i think i, I definitely like it more than pittsburgh's whose um unis i i do not like but could have been so much better that there, there was when you saw that they were going with meth bear like and they broke out that logo there's so much potential there, and I just feel like nope, haven't, haven't, didn't live up to it.
2: Meth Bear is a ten, and they made him a five.
0: Yeah, well, and out. they also, yeah, and it's like he shrunk in the wash too, because like it's a very small <laughs> Meth Bear on on the on the jersey. It's like it's
2: not going to scare anyone like that.
0: No, it's 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 baby, it's baby Meth. It's you know, it's 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 little Meth, little Meth Bear. But like, I just feel like um, I I just think it's there's people talk about the symmetry like oh the symmetry matches the stripes are the same in the socks like well yeah that's how that's how that's how it's supposed to go but like to your point scott like i think that's a good way to put it like they got caught between throwback and and modern but it's like i just think that if you're gonna have black if you're gonna have black a black jersey and and yellow socks whatever but it's like you have you can't do black on yellow only because you look like the Pittsburgh Steelers and it's like you have to break up those colors with like a white or like a, like, like a, like a beige or something like we talked about. I mean, I would have put meth bear on like a white Jersey, let it pop more. But if they were going to go with this black Jersey, they should have just kept the, the socks black. They should have incorporated like a white or a cream or something like that. You know, black gloves, black helmet, at least it's, it's a, it looks like a lot. Like it's not a crazy design, but it's just a lot going on. Like you, Meanwhile, you have like the old school, like 1980s Bruins, like spoked B logo on the, on the shell. And it's, it's bigger than the logo on the jersey. And I think, look, I think a lot of the reason people liked it is because Bergeron was wearing it. And let's be honest. I mean, if Bergeron's wearing it, you can't hate on it. But yeah, I I don't think it's the worst jersey you've ever seen. Worst uniforms you've ever seen.
2: I, just I definitely scrolled can't by elevate it a B-. like, Yeah. Even when like Bergeron was in it, I was like, scroll.
0: The only this, thing that they can do. Trust me. <laughs> the only thing they can do to make it worse for me is if they do what Scott loves and give him like some Chrome helmet when they get on the ice, like a black Chrome helmet, I will lose my, I'll lose my mind. So anywho, I I want to get you guys a two cents on the, on the full uniforms. Um, again, I echo Scott's comments. Like it's not the worst I've ever seen, but for me, it's like a, it, it's a C overall. If you love it, like I'm happy for you. Like I'm not here to, dissuade your your opinion like that's you know it's it's subjective but i personally it's not it's not my cup of tea scott how about gold helmets to match the socks no please scott, no. no Scott. please no no <laughs> i i i just might not watch the winner classic if that's the case <laughs> I'll, I'll just i'll just look for your so updates I- on twitter
2: yeah, you can't you can't even root for that, Scott, because you and I are gonna be up in the press box and we're not even gonna be able to see. We're gonna be blinded by gold helmets reflecting at
0: us. Yeah. All right. Well, just wanted to get you guys' opinions on that. Was there anything else? Scott, congrats on your soccer team that's big. Um any other thoughts? That's right. We we did we, we we gave you a we gave you a soccer segment last time without you. We waited until you weren't on the podcast to talk soccer.
2: For oh, me. yeah, that's true. We did, yeah.
0: Time, time nice. to beat the Netherlands. When is that what game? Was, uh,
1: Saturday, 10 a.m.
0: Oh, okay. All right, go USA, go. You like their uniform, Scott? The No, the,
1: the U.S. soccer ones are, are terrible, but whatever. Good. Oh, good, good, some good.
2: jerseys you would have loved this weekend. I broadcast the Yale against um, U.S. development under-18 team, and those U.S.A. jerseys are fire. Those, those are, are sharp. Just, that they were in their blues. They're they're really nice.
0: Yes. No. Those are sick. Those are sick. They those are the um those are the uniforms they should have worn to the Olympics. But maybe who knows? Maybe four years from now they'll they'll smarten up and go with it. Um. All right. You guys. You guys have any other thoughts?
2: No.
1: Nope. All good.
0: All right. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk soon. <laughs>